When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Brandon Harvey here. And before we get started today, I wanted to tell you once again about a survey we're conducting here for Sounds Good. It's a simple survey that will help us learn more about you, no matter how long you've been a listener of Sounds Good or how frequently you listen to the show. If you would, take a few minutes to go to gradient.is slash podcast survey and let us know what you think. There are some questions about your listening habits, what other podcasts you subscribe to, and what you like or don't like about the show. Again, that's gradient.is slash podcast survey. And along with the survey, if you do like what we're doing with Sounds Good, would you mind going to iTunes and leaving a short review? It really is the best way to let other people know about the show. We really appreciate the support. Thank you so much, everyone. Now, let's jump into the show. Hello, hello, Brandon Harvey here with this week's episode of Sounds Good, the podcast where every single Monday I sit down with an inspiring person and talk about happiness, overcoming struggles, and living a life of intentionality and wonder. You might have noticed that last week we took a week off, but I'm so excited that we're back today with an amazing conversation with hip-hop artist, poet, Propaganda. Propaganda grew out of the Los Angeles hip-hop scene and has become a prominent voice in the world of political activism and education. He's assembled a body of work that challenges his listeners with every verse and reaches across the spectrum of pop culture. I've admired this guy for a long time, and I am so psyched to have him on the show. And even more exciting, we're playing one of my favorite pieces of work from Propaganda to close out the show, so definitely stay tuned through the end. And with all that said, let's jump into the conversation. Here we go. All right, I'm on the line with Propaganda. Prop, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Man, this is super fun. Uh, You were just telling me about the context of where you're at, but I I want the listeners to hear that. Tell me what's going on in your world, in your context Uh, right now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, the most epic dad life ever moment. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'm at my daughter's ballet and jazz uh, practice. uh, I'm sitting in the car with my one-year-old who's just picking up a piece of her crust uh, from her toast from this morning that she didn't want to finish. Uh, So I'm just sitting. (laughs) There she is. That's perfect. So I'm just sitting in the car. Yep. (laughs) Glamorous. This is amazing. Super glamorous. My wife was like, I got a meeting. I can't keep the baby. So I'm like, okay, but I have a podcast. Uh, <laughs> got to figure it out. It's like, That's okay. the best. Way <laughs> to defy gender roles. This is perfect. Oh, man. If you knew how our house worked, bro, like, I, I <laughs> gender roles are a joke. I yeah. love it. Uh-huh. Okay, and so you're in L.A. right now. I am. So you were L.A. born and raised. 
born and raised in Pacific Ocean saltwater in my, in my veins. I can't breathe fresh air. I can only breathe smog. Yeah. And uh, what was life like for you growing up? What was, you know, I don't know anything about what Los Angeles life is is like growing up because I grew up in a small little town in the Pacific Northwest. So still West Coast vibes, but, you know, tell uh, me about your life growing up. Yeah. Well, I uh, I started off in sort of inner city Los Angeles, uh, South Central L.A., um, and uh then we moved to about 20 minutes east of that to an area called the San Gabriel Valley, specifically a city uh, called West Covina, uh, La Fuente. And um, the L.A. narrative, like if somebody's not mentioning like the the Mexican influence, then like they wouldn't really hear. You know, so uh, <laughs> so I grew up in a uh, almost totally like Mexican neighborhood. Um, so very like incredibly bicultural, you know, a lot very bilingual. And in a lot of ways, like the uh, just it's funny because like I, I look at all the positive things that L.A. had to offer during especially like during like the D.A.R.E. program war on drugs years where like, you know, it was obviously there was all kind of like social, political, cultural turmoil and and, you know, the gang life and all that was happening. But at the same time, it's like, man, you know, the a burgeoning like skateboarding scene was happening. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So like the Bones Brigade dudes were like down in like, you know, and south santa monica you know what i'm saying and then you had like you know the venice beach scene with like the radiotron and the break dancers and just like there was so much like sort of culture being made during that time that um even in the midst of whatever like poverty and kind of struggle you know what i'm saying like i feel like man i i wouldn't trade my childhood for the world you know what i'm saying um so yeah i grew up very bicultural um you know in a lot of like sort of arts and uh and just like so a lot of like culture now was being, you know, kind of developed there. Yeah. And you were a part of that and you were a part of the like early hip hop scene, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, early hip hop scene, you know, is like early 80s. You know what I'm saying? And, like I wasn't necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really wasn't really there for that. Maybe maybe I'll swap <laughs> some words around and say your early life was spent in the hip hop scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. We go. So I'm like, I'll say like second wave like hip hop. Uh but but I I did see like the the big boys like I remember my for my um tenth birthday no 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 for my sister's what birthday was that I think it was like her sweet sixteen like she had a sleepover and we rented um Breaking the movie Breaking <laughs> and uh and they rented Breaking in Beach Street and I remember sitting in the living room watching we know why she had all her friends in the or she her friends were in the living room and I was in the kitchen I, we just I mean we lived in the hood so you could see the TV from like the kitchen so like <laughs> I remember just watching like just these like dudes spin on their head and just being like man whatever that is like I need to be a part of that you know and um remembering like just you know you drive through the drive through uh where our our some of our major uh, highways like the the 10 freeway and the 101 freeway where they cross is a, is an area called the LA River and there is, you know, it's not like a river, like Pacific Northwest River. It's like, it's paved, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's concrete. So like, and I remember seeing, um, you know, all the like graffiti there and just the murals and just being like, man, these things are just so larger than life that like, you know, I have to be a part of whatever this is. It yeah. just like completely resonated. And what age did you start to get to be a part of that? Um, so yeah, pretty young, um, you know, my father used to take me to Venice uh, all the time because he would go buy incense, incense and like sort of other things, 
so, um, so, uh, so I saw it all the time. I started rapping, I'd say my freshman year, but before that, like my sister was like totally in like the house, the house scene. So she was like, gotcha. you know, house dancer looking like the kid in play movies, like all in her friends and stuff like that. So like, uh, I was around it very, very young, but I think like, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to spots. I'm buying music. I'm like, you know, stealing, uh, you know, spray cans was probably around like my freshman year. Of high school. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back, would you say that you were good at being like, were you a good rapper at the time? Were, were you doing something that you were like, that you were kind of proud of or what was that like? I mean, yeah, of course, like, looking back now, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it's so embarrassing. But, like, <laughs> uh, you know, um, for the time and, you know, for the season around me, I was I was being affirmed. You That's know, cool. people were like, man, that dude's dope, you know, like, keep going. And it was and so, like, you know, and, and, and back then, like, you didn't get, like, you can't just, like, record yourself rapping and upload it to YouTube. It was like the stuff had to be live. And, you, mm. and if you were live, you had to battle somebody. So, like, you know, this was like lunch table you know what I'm saying? Big crowd of people and we're just like freestyling against each other and like, you know, so it's like that immediate, it's that immediate like uh, pressure to like perform and like the instant gratification that like if you kill it, like, you know, you're instantly like everyone knows and like, you know, you're the man for the day, you know what I mean? For, you know, fourth, fifth and sixth period, that's all everybody could talk about was how like, oh man, like prop killed that guy, you know what I'm saying? So like, that's, yeah, so that was like, you know, the first few first few years was that, you know what I'm saying? But then like, I mean, you're in LA. So like two schools over is like somebody that has like a legitimate record deal, you know, who's like yeah. actually touring the world doing hip hop. So you're like, I mean, I'm good for the scene, I guess, but there are amazing rappers literally next door to me. You know what I'm saying? Mm, totally. But I'm, I'm smiling really big, imagining you like at lunch in high school battle rapping like this is amazing yeah dude oh man we was going in you imagine like obviously like i mean it's the early 90s so it's like we're wearing like size 40 jeans you know what i'm saying <laughs> like just huge huge jeans and double xl t-shirts and i was like maybe a buck 35 like you know so i was just i was so thin and still am but i was just so like I had no business being in something like that. And it's funny because, like, my, <laughs> my parents thought, like, man, that obviously that look, you know, every, everybody's look. When you look back at, like, your ninth grade year, you're like, oh, man, I looked ridiculous. So my parents, like, were, like, trying to, like, uh, be be in front of that and just being like, man, I'm just not going to let you do this because you're going to regret it when you look at pictures later. But I'm still, like, every other kid, like, as soon as I left for school, I had a Borrowed one of my friend's clothes from my backpack, pulled it out, changed, went to school, you know, That's had to change hilarious. back before I went home so that my parents wouldn't get mad at what I was wearing, you know, but, uh, that's so funny. Now I'm like, man, you guys are totally right. <laughs> and so you graduate high school and you went on, what did you do next after high school? Was it more hip hop or? Yeah. I mean, I never stopped rapping, but like, you know, it's kind of like everybody that, you know, when you're a kid, everybody has a skateboard, but nobody expects to go pro. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Like, that dude's, like, really good. So you just continue in life. You don't stop skating, but you go to school, you know, and go to... And I, it was the same with hip-hop for me. It was like, I never stopped rapping, but, I mean, you don't imagine yourself as, like, that's going to be an actual career. So, like, 
Yeah, I went to college. I went to college for illustration and um, intercultural studies. And and I was, uh, yeah, I was going to be like, a, um, I was going to be an illustrator, you know. And then the year that I graduated, my senior year of college was when Disney and Pixar merged. Mm. So they ended up firing a good like 40% of their illustrators. And so then because of that, it was like, man, there's, yeah. I'm in a job market competing against like people with like Mulan and like the Lion King. Yeah, in their not to mention portfolio. competing against computers, you know, and computers. It's you just know? a different and game. Stupid me, yeah, stupid me being the purist that I am was on some like, man, uh, you know, I can draw. I don't need Photoshop. Like stupid, so <laughs> stupid. You know what I mean? So like, I just didn't pay attention in those. I mean, I, I can. I mean, I could work a, I could work anything Adobe now. You know what I'm saying? But like at the time, I was like. I don't want to be a part of that because I'm like, these are my strengths. Like, my strengths is drawing and painting. I'm going to play to my strengths. And that was dumb because, you know, and now I'm doing a podcast about poretry and hip hop. You know, so I guess how good that went. The transition's amazing. Yeah. And so, but at that point, you went down the road to education, correct? Yeah. Throughout my my time in college, my, uh, my, like, day jobs were... All in like the school system. So whether huh. it was like tutoring, instructional aid, uh, daycare, um, all those things, like I just kind of noticed I, I sort of had a knack for it because like at the end of the day, to me, like teaching was like storytelling, hmm. you know what I'm saying? And, and storytelling was hip hop, you know? So to me, it was like, I feel like I can just do this, you know? And, and again, like, you know, I was just being affirmed by like, some of the people around me and then you know somebody introduced me to like this magical thing called substitute teaching where like (laughs) you just like you mean i just go for a day and like you just pay me for and i don't have to grade nothing i get to just like i could pick my own schedule and just you just want me to be in front of these kids for a few hours (laughs) sounds great you know what i'm saying so um so i started subbing like in sort of the juvenile court system. So like uh, we have um, a system here in California, like if you get in trouble with the law, like, you know, and you're a minor, you still got to go to school. So they have like, uh, you know, court or like what they're called camps. Um, So they're like juvenile camps where you're not exactly in prison, but you ain't exactly free either. So those places, yeah, have schools. And I was like, man, I'm just going to start teaching there. You know, one, because it was like, I feel like I resonate with those kids more, you know what I mean? And then secondly, it was like, dude, this is, nobody wants to do it. So I was like, man, I could, I could get in here and like kill it, you know? And yeah. then I did and fell in love. That's incredible. It was like, dang, I actually really like this. So then I was like, man, I'm just going to go get a credential. So I went to get a credential in education and social science. And that's my daughter. <laughs> and so you went and you got a credential. Yeah. Um, and then, so I, I kept teaching in like alternative, like sort of high school spaces, um, because of what I knew about the structure of education. I'm like, I feel like this is much better for students and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, and then, uh, ended up helping start a charter high school, uh, that was kind of like built around the arts and like, um, you know, big like edu speech. So like, you know, integrated, uh, instruction, um, you know, project-based learning, co-teaching, like you know, constructivism, just all these like, you know, big soaring like education terms. But like I had got to come in like this, the second year of it, I, the first year they only had ninth graders. So I got to come in, you know, when they were um, starting to like build out all the rest of the grade levels. 
Um, and, and I helped build out the 11th grade and, and helped design some of the ninth grade stuff. Man, that is awesome. Yeah. And then obviously you're not still working for a charter school anymore. I am not. You're yeah. a hip hop artist, a poet, traveling, on tour. Like, what was the transition? What was the pivot? How did you, what was the deciding moment? So what's crazy is like the day I got like, or the year I got hired at the school was the year I got my first record deal. Whoa. And it was, so it was one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, this isn't like, I wasn't Britney Spears. Like, you know, I, they're, they're not <laughs> cutting me a million dollar check to like make a record and go on tour. It was like, okay, we'll put out your record. Okay, now go make a record. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it was more like that. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not an idiot. You know what I mean? I still had rent. So I kept working. Um, but, uh, it's kind of funny. It was almost like weekend warriors. It was like, you know, I'd get out of, I'd get out of uh, work, head straight to like my buddy's, uh, like offices in Whittier and we'd, you know, catch a flight to Florida and go do a show on Saturday night, Man. you know, with the, you know, and then, and it's so funny. You got a line at the merch table, people trying to take pictures. I'm like, little do you know, when I go, when I get back to work on Monday, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be like, this is the real life I live, you know? And, uh, yeah. And then after a while it started being like, man, one day, like the phone sort of rang maybe six years later, the phone rang and then it never stopped ringing. And, you know, I was grinding during that, during that whole time, you know, I got to do a lot of cool projects. I like, I toured with KRS-One, uh, did some, uh, you know, I got to do like the Warp Tour and uh, not all the dates, but a number of like the California dates. I was on, you know, I did Rock the Bells, like just all these like cool things while still working full time. And then eventually it was like one of those things where I was like, man, I'm not doing either of these things well, you know, if, you, mm. if you're because your attention's so divided. So like if, if I'm going to if I'm going to be a teacher, just be a teacher, you know, if you're going to do music, then do music, you know, and now it's kind of like if you're going to do it well, you know what I mean? Then you have to at some point stop dividing your time, you know, plus, plus the uh, California was making so many like policy changes uh, that, you know, just kind of like, it's kind of felt like I was being pushed out just as much as I was being pulled away. Mm. Well, and so you made this transition and you jumped into, you know, poetry and hip hop. And the yeah. thing is, you kind of, you kind of got to make a little bit of a compromise because your, your work has always been very very teaching focused in a lot of ways it's really been focused yeah, yeah, around yeah. education i mean sometimes the topic is education but you're you're taking ideas that are big and lofty and you're saying how can i break this down in a three-minute track yeah tell me about the intentionality behind that because that's not what every hip-hop artist does that's not what every musician or artist does yeah so i always say like a good example i think for maybe probably for your audience would appreciate is like I say, like, you can go the Radiohead route or the Cigaros route. <laughs> and they're both amazing, right? But uh, you're not going to hear Cigaros on, like, your morning drive no. or your afternoon drive on the radio. You know what I'm saying? You're going to hear that. But at the same time, how many bands can point back to Cigaros? Like, yeah, they're why I do what I do. There's, that's the sound I look for. That's what I want to be. You know what I'm saying? Um, so for me, it was like, I just took the Cigaros route. Or another one is like, you could say like, take the Michael Jackson route or the Prince route. Mm. Like Michael Jackson was like, hey, you know, and they both survived. They're both amazing. Michael Jackson was like, look, what's the sound right now? All right, I'm going to be better than everybody at this sound. And I'm going to keep evolving. I'm going to find the best writers, the best musicians, get them in the room and make amazing, timeless music, right? Prince was like, 
I'm riding naked on unicorns. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all do whatever y'all want. I'm about to find, like, you know, bootyless pants, and I'm going to wear that mug. You know what I'm saying? Grow a perm and do these weird things, and it's going to be amazing. And so what I'm hearing from you right now is that you're saying that you want to ride naked on unicorns. Oh, man, you telling me? <laughs> yes. So, like, I was like, I'm going to go that route because that to me, that's the stuff that, like, I found more inspiring. So, like, once you swallow the pill that, like, you may or may not ever win a Grammy, you may or may not ever be on a radio, but I'm going to love this music. And dudes that are on the radio are going to wish they made music as creative as me mm. and as poignant as me and as timeless of me. I'm going to take that route. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it was like there was that. And then there was like just sort of probably three parts. Like the second part was like the reality is like I just don't have a pop ear. Like I don't know how to make music that's like, <laughs> you know, just catchy and like, you know, kind of I don't want to say shallow, but like just kind of fun for the moment, like moment yeah. music. Like I, I don't know how to make moment music, you know. And then um, I mean, I come from like my father was a Black Panther, man. I just come from like a line of people that like. Yo, every, everything you do is about something bigger than you, you know? So teaching was, it was about something bigger than me. Hip hop, the hip hop I fell in love with was always about something bigger than the music. You know what I'm saying? It was about the culture. You do it for the culture. You know what I'm saying? So if I was going to start making music, it was always going to be about something bigger than me. That's huge. And I feel like you've done an especially great job at that. And and when you're creating something that's bigger than you, what you're really doing is you're offering perspectives that challenge the cultural norm. You're saying, here's what people believe. Yes. Here's why I'm going to break that down and and challenge people to change their opinion or, or act differently or whatever that is. And in a culture of cynicism, how do you remain hopeful and continue to challenge people to join in with that hope um, without getting sucked mm. into that cynicism as well? Yeah. Well... First of all, it's not like I don't get sucked in. Mm. It's like I don't have moments of like incredible cynicism. But I think that like the reality of that, like the reality of like, man, you're going to ebb and flow. Like you're going to have ups and downs. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that once I gave myself sort of that like permission, if you will, to be like, man, I'm going to have days where I'm like, this freaking sucks. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I hate having kids, you know, uh, I want to pour another shot of makers like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, I don't care who cares. It's my fifth. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know what I'm saying? Like I have, once I, I, I kind of gave myself permission to have those moments and just be like, okay, go through them. Like, know that it's just a moment. Let me go through it. But if you get to a place to where you're like, look, I know that this is a moment, you know what I'm saying? Um, then, you know, you just you can allow yourself to just like go through the process. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's like knowing that it's a process actually uh, keeps me from staying cynical mm. because it is just a process. Right. And then secondly, it's like, man, I think a lot of cynicism comes from like isolation or creating like an echo chamber in your mind, in your heart and in your like social media feed you know what i'm saying like so if you don't if you don't have like if you just have people that are just you're following people that don't like necessarily challenge your norms or you know i'm not saying like you know follow back trolls that are just like dissing <laughs> you all the time i'm not saying that but i am saying like there's a time like allow yourself to have sort of uh 
other perspectives kind of in your feed. You know what I'm saying? That'll remind you that maybe the world isn't just exactly the way that you're imagining it. You know what I'm saying? And then that'll like um, keep your joy. So like, for example, for me, like I, uh, you know, since I deal with a lot of issues of, you know, race and uh, and prejudice and politics and stuff like that. So I deal with a lot of that. You know, it's real easy for me to just be like, man, I'm just done with white people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's easy to get to that. Um, but I have enough, you know, white friends and and family members that like, well, I consider family. I don't know, like white blood family, but like family members that I'm like, man, I love you guys. And y'all show me uh, a broader narrative of who this dominant culture says or believes they are. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, really like somebody like yourself, like I'll follow you on in my social media just to be like, man, for every sort of like closed minded, you know, hypocrite, I'm like, there's a you, you know? Uh, and, and I just keep those people around me just to remind me that like, man, the world isn't, you know, as like, you know, terrible as like, I would imagine, you know, totally. And I'm trying to do stuff on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, I, it's probably about two years ago and I, I really started to notice that whole echo chamber idea. And it's especially true on Facebook. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Facebook only shows you 75 to 175 people in your newsfeed. And so I Uh have, I've got what, 2000 friends on Facebook and I'm only seeing the people that Facebook wants me to see. And so I kind of started to realize, well, Facebook wants me to show up on Facebook, have a good time, enjoy Facebook, and then and then come back again and again and again. So they're not going to show yeah. me ideas that I disagree with because then I have an unpositive, I have a non-positive experience on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And so on places like Twitter um, or Instagram or you know even on Facebook, I'm trying to find more and more and more people who have opinions that are totally different than my own. And so I started following a huge, like, it's so crazy. I, for the longest time on Twitter, I was just following this group of like white creative people, not on purpose. I'm not like, I'm only going to follow white creative people, but it's just like, you know, you follow somebody and then you follow somebody else that they hang out with. And, and I was like, I'm, there's just this one bubble, but there's also all these other bubbles and people joke around all the time about black Twitter. And about how there's yeah, this like other Twitter. And, and so I was like, I'm just going to go start following black Twitter. And I feel like, honestly, a huge percent of the people that I follow now don't look like me, don't talk like me, didn't yeah. have the same upbringing as me, don't believe in the same things as me, but it challenges yeah. me. And it's, it's a, that's been one of the best things for me. And black Twitter is fun as hell, right? Oh, it's so much better than than whatever my little corner of Twitter is. White Twitter is. <laughs> no, black Twitter is one of the funnest like experiences. And it's funny because it's like, I, again, I get, I kind of get that just because of like, you know, the nature of music that I do. Like there's this, this part of like this, the down home, like sort of like my, my, my native tongue, which would be like black Twitter. But then mm. there's like this other experience of like, why I already knew who you were, you know what I'm saying? It was yeah. like, nah, I'm just, I'm a part of this other, like, sort of white creatives, you know what I'm saying? But that, for me, it kind of goes back to, again, like, I grew up very bicultural. So, like, yeah. the idea of, like, being around people that, like, quite literally don't speak the same language, you know, uh, was not, that's not hard for me. That's not, like, that's not a strange thing, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah, I kind of have a, a, a sort of a, a propensity to that but i love it 
Yeah. Yeah. But if you keep those things, like if you keep those things in your life, you know what I'm saying? Like for me, that's one of the biggest like fights against cynicism, you know? Yeah. And, and to repeat what you said at the beginning, you said cynicism comes from isolation. It comes from creating an echo chamber. And I think that's the yeah. biggest thing you can do is you can, you cannot fall into that isolation. So outside of the world of hip hop, we've talked a little bit about your family. Obviously, your daughter is hanging out in the car with you. Your other daughter Literally. is is yeah. dancing just a little bit away. Um, you mentioned your wife, um, and I've seen I've heard you say before online, and I'm I'm pretty sure in some of your art, you've said that your family is a family of freedom fighters. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, uh, so my dad was a. Um, uh, civil uh, civil rights vet, like he was in the Vietnam War, came back, got a lot of lot of disillusionment from like, man, I'm about to go across the world to fight for this country against people that ain't never called me nigger. You know what I'm saying? That mm. you know what I'm saying? They've never yeah. done these things to me, but I gotta go. And I'm like, my own my homeland won't even let me vote. You know? And I got you want me to go die for these people? You know what I'm saying? So uh, so you know, it kind of it's kind of like it kind of does something to your brain. You know? After a while, so he kind of came back, really got involved in. Um, Sort of civil rights, eventually joined the uh, Los Angeles chapter or the Watch chapter of the uh, Black Panther Party. Um, and for people who don't know, for people like me who are in the world of white Twitter and maybe don't even know that much about the Black Panthers, can you give a tiny yeah. bit of a an explanation or even just like a lot of people think this, but this is true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the people's image, I think a lot of times our image of, of Black Panthers is like, it's almost like the equal and opposite of like the Klan, you know, like this like sort of black version of the Ku Klux Klan, which couldn't be any further from the truth. Mm. You know, uh, uh, number one, like Panthers weren't seeking out white people to beat up. You know what I'm saying? Like they wasn't, nor were they like burning cross, you know, they wasn't burning like, you know, black fists and like Egyptian onks in front of people's like lawns. Like that wasn't happening. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, it was, it started off as like, there was so much police brutality happening in um, Oakland that eventually they were like, man, okay, what can we do to stop y'all from just like whooping our ass every time we walk outside, you know? So they started um, basically following the police and just making sure like when they were um, doing their patrols or something like that, that they were, even if you had to cite somebody that they were treating them fairly. Mm. Um, So, so it wasn't ever like anti-police or anti-government. It was more like, just do your job. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's totally. just like, just, just be what you say you are, you know? And then that's really like what the attitude was. And then eventually, uh, you know, they started moving into a lot more like social programs. So they used to, uh, you know, if a kid is like, if a kid can't focus in school, oftentimes it's because like he's hungry. So they started doing like, sort of lunch programs and then after school programs for tutoring and and like job training and stuff like that and then and then eventually it became like a political party to where it was like man these these are the demands that we have like you know the immediate ending of police brutality like you know fair and livable housing and like food for everyone you know what i'm saying like equal representation just the same stuff that like at the end of the day that the framers of the constitution was asking for totally you know what i'm saying like if at the end of the day it's like man just like dog treat me like i matter you know what i'm saying so eventually it was like well since you're not gonna listen to us like peacefully asking we're gonna start 
using the, the very laws that you say we have, which is you say, I got the right to bear arms. Okay, cool. Well, I'm standing right here in front of this, you know what I'm saying, in front of this place with my rifle that I lawfully have, you know, and I'm going to make sure that you do your job correctly. You know what I'm saying? Um, and if you're not going to live, we're going to march. So they, they stood in front of the, uh, um, you know, the, the, the state capitals, uh, stairs and was like, look, man, these are our demands. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all got to stop doing this. And, um, and that's, that was really like the, uh, sort of the crux and, and, and attitude of the Black Panther Party was, was that, you know, and of course there was like, you know, variations within the thing. No group is like truly homogenous. And there were some that were more extreme than others, some that were more violent than others, some that thought that like, you know, working it this way is not going to work as well as if you work it that way, mm-hmm. you know, and then all those things. Then eventually you had like, um, which is like recorded, it's public record now, like, you know, a uh, organized sort of clandestine plan from the CIA to break them up because truth is they were incredibly effective. Like mm. it was working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, crime was going down in the city. Um, people were becoming organized. People were getting their rights to vote. People were learning their rights to vote. And, uh, you know, if, as there's the reality is like if it's a saying among like uh, people of color that like, you know, when you, if you've if you've only experienced privilege, equality feels like oppression. Yes. So so that's what started happening. Like there started being equality. And, you know, those that have just have have just enjoyed a level of um, sort of privilege for so many decades, you know, started feeling like, man, this privilege is being like challenged, you know, so. Mm-hmm. We're just saying, no, it's, no, it's equality. I'm saying, Uh, what are you talking about? Right. But eventually it was like, nah, this needs to stop, you know, and we're going, we need to stop this, you know? So then that's when like the sort of the propaganda machine, you know, um, was put out as far as like, nah, these are violent, they're racist, they're, you know, all these, these other like sort of pieces. And there might've been, like I said, members in the group that were, violent and racist you know what i'm saying or violent and, and prejudiced but um but yeah it was it was more like a, a spin so anyway that's good that's a good explanation continue yeah <laughs> cool yeah so my dad was part of the after school sort of uh tutoring program um that's that was the part that he he was he was involved in at watts that's cool yeah so like so you know you have that like kind of in the backdrop for me like i ain't had like cartoons on my uh cartoon posters on my wall or anything like that like i didn't have that like i had five african kingdoms you know what i mean in their lineage like on my wall like i read i read uh my sister my sister in in junior high read uh angela davis's like autobiography like stuff like that you know what i'm saying like i had to write a book report on nat turner you know it about to be a movie about it. i had to write a book report for my father not for like not for <laughs> school for my dad i had to write a book report about it you know what i'm saying um so the, it's these type of like sort of things that are like kind of flowing through sort of my childhood. Like I just understood that like, man, you know, there's a call. Like I said, there's a cause that like you just have to participate in and, and there's just no option because of like you owe your people. You owe the world around you mm. to make the world a better place. So like that was just sort of my experience. And I was drawn to as I got married, I was drawn to, you know, a young lady that feels the same. You know what I'm saying? And my wife uh, yeah. is in, heavily involved in like sort of advocacy work, whether it's in education. But she works a lot of times with like sort of first generation and low income students. Um, 
So it's like she does sees like a lot of like the connections between black and brown children. Now she teaches a class. She teaches a class in at uh, Chapman University on the uh, structure and formation of privilege and how privilege works. Like um, mm. she's just sure her PhD is in educational uh, policy and equity and social context and like systemic issues in education. Like yeah, so she's she's a she's a freedom fighter in her own right. Matter of fact, probably in a <laughs> at, a, at a at a much more effective level than I am, you know what I'm saying? Because she has that she has the actual degree to prove it, you know. That's incredible. And then, like, tell me about your your daughters and how you're. And how old are your daughters again? So I got an 11 year old and a one year old. 11 year old and a one year old. How are you in the same way that your dad raised you up to be a freedom fighter? What are you doing in the lives of your kids to kind of do the same thing? Yeah. So you know, it's interesting, right? Like, so. Because of like where my uh, my wife went to college, or at least for her 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 PhD, it was very affluent. It was a very affluent area. But but during that time, that was like my daughter's like kindergarten, first and second grade year. Mm. You know, so that sort of like imprint of like what life really is, like it it kind of stuck with her. So for her, like first three years of school she was all she knew was like this this world that just did not match you know where we were actually going to live because we were just there for school you know what i'm saying yeah and the type of like work we were going to actually do uh so a lot of our time was actually spent kind of like undoing that so what we Mm -hmm. well what we did as soon as we could was like moved her out of this affluence and uh back into the city just so she could like have a a more accurate perspective of like sort of what life really is. A lot of people, I think that they, they would say, Oh, I want to give my kid this life of affluence. I want to give them this experience that's nicer so that they can get ahead. And and you're saying the best way to get ahead is to erase that, to get rid of that and give an accurate experience. Yeah. Once she's, once she started being like, she hung out with her grandma and she was like, uh, daddy, grandma actually rides the bus oh. and she was like grossed out. We were like, all right, that's it. Nope. You know what I'm saying? So, so we, uh, we, we were like, yeah, well, okay, we need, we need to move. So, uh, so we moved to like, you know, we're in Long Beach and, and granted, like, you know, we're not in the projects cause we don't have to be, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, like we're in the city, you know, where like, mm-hmm. you know, like real life is happening. So there was things that we just, we just made sure she was a part of and that she participated in, you know what I'm saying? Just so she could be in a lot of ways, like bicultural or in her own right, you know? And, and we, 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 um, we keep her like sort of abreast to like what's happening nationally. We make her watch like presidential debates, you know what I'm saying? We make her like keep up with like protests and riots like we we've taken her Mm. to like black lives matter protests and stuff like that um you know so there's things that we just make sure she's continually aware of you know what i mean and um yeah just keep those things in in front of her and kind of let her make her own decisions you know what i'm saying but like one of the things we had to like accept about you know having kids was like you know she's just not us you know what i'm saying like she wants to you know go to ballet you know what i mean totally. and like we're like yeah you know and just kind of like i don't want to stifle that but at the same time like when we go to ballet i want you to think about like yo you this is a privilege you know what i'm saying yeah. like you have a you have you have a level of privilege because of what not not only just what mommy and daddy did but what 
granddaddy and grandmama did. You know what I'm saying? And like just reminding her that like, yo, this didn't happen out of a vacuum. You know what I'm saying? Like totally. somebody fought for your rights to do this. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like that's something that like we just we we constantly sort of remind her of. Yeah. And I mean, it took me way too long to understand my privilege. You know, it wasn't until the last few years. And so, you know, and and it's been incredibly helpful for me. It, it hasn't been a burden mm-hmm. learning my privilege. It's yeah. actually been incredible. And so it's amazing that your daughter is going to grow up with that experience of saying, I get to do this thing, but that's out of a place of privilege. And I think it makes you more altruistic. It makes you more aware, loving. Absolutely. Because privilege isn't inherently wrong because we all have it was what what in some way shape or form we all got privilege privilege it only gets wrong when a you deny it or b it's not leveraged for good you know what i'm saying like leverage your privilege for good you know what i mean and for the for the service of others when you do that you know i'm saying like that's that's i mean privilege is a privilege and it's great you know just leverage it and leverage it correctly do you experience any sort of backlash for using your privilege for good or using your art to talk about important topics? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, some of the backlash is, you know, the same, like, sort of, like, trolls everybody gets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Where, like, yeah. I, I, I listen to a podcast about, like, the sociology of, like, of social media trolls or the psychology of social media trolls, and it really helped, like, when, like, in a lot of ways it's like, well, these they're sociopaths. So like, so once you, once you know that, you know what I mean? Like, then you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? They may not go out and kill somebody and like, you know, eat their underwear, but like, but in the same way they get this like, sort of like demented joy from like prodding, you know what I'm saying? And like, once I knew that it was like, I can handle this. Um, but, uh, I think some of the, like, some of the backlashes, I guess it's sort of unspoken, if you will, where it's like, we're just going to stop booking that guy. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or like, we're just not going to invite him to this. You know what I'm saying? So what I found was like the, uh, there's, there can be somewhat of a gravy train in sort of the, sort of the, the little, um, sub genre of like music that I exist in. Um, but you got to play by the rules, you know what I'm saying? And if you don't play by the rules, then that, then that river kind of dries up. Gotcha. Um, and and so I found that, like, in a lot of ways that 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 raging river became a brook, you know. But what was funny to me was like I never my my message never changed from when they when I was first introduced to this world. You know, what I'm saying so I'm like, I don't I don't understand why, like, I don't understand what changed. Like, I, I've always talked the way I talk, you know, yeah. but uh, people are just starting to get uncomfortable now. They start getting a little too uncomfortable. You know, what I'm saying um, so there's. So there's that. And then I think on the other hand, though, like it's introduced me to this like whole other like world of, like I said, people like yourself that are like, man, just the opposite of like what I would expect dominant culture to be. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, That kind of like my boldness has kind of invited me to where it's like, nah, it's people that are like, no, 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 no. Help me understand. Like, show me where I show me my weak spot. Show me what I'm missing. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I want to be a part of like, you know, the change in this world, you know what I'm saying? So like, I've been more like introduced to that world, which is dope. Yeah. I think that's been really cool in the last year, just seeing a lot of people in my circle are, it seems they're reaching out to you and they're saying, Hey, help me understand this. Help me explain this. And you've been a really, really good, and it's probably your amazing 
uh, upbringing where of biculturalism that's allowed you to say, yeah. hey, let me translate this for you. Let me explain this in a way that you understand. Um, and man, one of my favorite pieces of yours, it's that video that, that you just went live with of your live performance of your poem, 20 Years. 20 Years, Man, yeah. it's incredible. Um, and it just, Thank you. it's, you listen to it and you feel uncomfortable and it takes you by surprise. And at the end, you, you, your heart is bumping and it's just, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great, incredible experience. And it's one of my favorite things you've, you've Thanks, ever man. created. And I think you're creating it at the perfect time and it's, you're creating it in a way where people are, are willing to listen and they're willing to, to be challenged mm-hmm. and changed. And that's, that's huge, man. Okay. And, and this is something you've talked about before online, kind of along these same lines. Um, you've shared a little bit about how your daughter will call you, crying when you go out of town because she's scared that you're going to end up dead like way too many black men a disproportionate Mm -hmm. number of black men really um and of course as a woke black world-changing son of a black panther you're fully aware of like how troubling these injustices are but i would imagine that your daughter bringing it up affects you in a different way can you can you share about that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's probably one of the biggest like pickles I find myself ever in, you know. Um the 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 closest comparison is when like, you know, the when you're in kindergarten and like, you know, the the policeman comes to like, you know, career day, you know, and and he's like, "Hey, you know, I'll show you the squad car, look at the sirens." And it's like you know, I want to think it's like cool and fun, like all the other kids, you know what I'm saying? But like, that's just, it's just not your experience. That's just, mm. you know, you, you come from an area where, where I'm from and it's like, man, they were the third gang. You have Crips, you have Bloods, and you have police. They were the third gang, you know? Um, so there's this like turmoil, you know, that you have uh, uh, in like trying to sort of participate in this like experience with 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 law enforcement and like you want to see them as heroes you know what i mean and you want like nobody's anti-police we're anti the abuse of power you know like i i if a mile's getting broken into i want to call the police and i want to know that the police are gonna come and stop this dude from breaking into my house what i don't want the dudes to do is kill the guy you yeah. know what I don't want the dude to do is mistake me for the for the uh for the, for the criminal and choke me out in front of my own house which has happened you know so nobody's against policing you know we're against unfair unjust policing and and police being above the law that's what everybody's against so having said that my brother, my little brother is a CHP officer. My father, after, you know, as, as he became an adult, older, my father was involved in, like, the L.A. County Probation Department. I got law enforcement in my family. So knowing that, coupled with the reality that, like, my daughter's fear is not unjustified, you know, yeah. um, it just makes for a pickle, you know. So, like how do you explain to 11 year old the difference between uh, the systemic and the individual, you know, yeah. where it's like, I can't say that every cop's not racist, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, there's a structure that 
that they are a part of that feeds a racist structure. You know what I'm saying? So like, and it's hard enough to explain on Facebook to adults. You know, uh, explaining yeah, right? that nuance to to your daughter like that doesn't that can't yeah. come easily. Nah. So then you just have to like click into just comfort and just like. But at the same time, I don't want to give her a delusion. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So like, it has to be like, all right, well, you know. You and mom remember to like y'all remember to pray for me when I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? And just like and, you know, just it's more about like reminding her just how much I love her and and, like why I leave and what I'm leaving for. And, you know, I'm saying and that like, you know, God loves her more than any of us could imagine. You know what I'm saying? And like just try to like put her mind at ease more about like comfort. But I can't I can't legitimately say I'll be fine, baby. Don't worry about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I can be like, keep me in prayer, you know, uh, put your mind on better things. You know what I'm saying? And like, I'll check in with you, you know what I'm saying? But don't, you know, just like, don't live in fear. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, go about your life. You know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and know that like, hey, I'll be back. You know, I'll be back. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. And And dude, I really appreciate you talking about race because I know it's not... I know it's like a heavy topic and it's not your job as somebody of color to have this conversation. Mm. Um, and yeah. so I appreciate you being willing to talk about that. And, you know, the goal, yeah, no, of, I... the goal of this podcast is for like this to be a place where we can have conversations that matter and conversations that are important. Uh-huh. And uh, and I love your perspective. Thanks, man. Especially when you're talking about like not being cynical. Yeah. Like if you could talk about race in an uncynical way. It's helpful. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to do for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, you're you're great at that. Thanks, man. And with that, I want to transition into this part where every single episode, I love to ask three questions to guests. Uh, and the first one is this. How would you describe the kind of person that you most admire in the world? Mm, I like it. person I most admire in the world is humble and quiet yet when they speak like the earth stops you know um that is very patient like waits for the shot you know what i'm saying but when the shot comes has no fear in taking it but is but it's just humble gracious patient quiet but when they speak it's thunderous that's good that's a good kind of person yeah i know right i wish i was that <laughs> me too i'm more like all over the place like Whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, wait, wait, no, listen. You know what I'm saying? Like, That's me too. Place. Yeah. Well, we'll keep on working on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> question number two. What are you consuming that you love right now? Um, well, one would be salt and pepper chips, kettle chips. I'm consuming <laughs> a lot of that that I'm loving. Um, I have a salt tooth. I don't have a sweet tooth. I tooth. I've got a sweet uh, tooth. Yeah. Um, and then other, like, I'm, I'm actually consuming a lot of, like, sort of books on like gender and gender roles hmm. um sort of like women's issues i mean i have two daughters you know yeah uh i'm reading a lot of books about that you know and sort of um misogyny and patriarchy and how those things kind of play out things i may have like unknowingly sort of perpetuated and carry you know what i'm saying mm. in the same way that like you know a white dude figuring out about racism, you know what I'm totally. saying? You're like, oh crap. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's for me, it's like I'm figuring that out about like misogyny, where I'm like, oh crap. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of like uh, a lot of stuff I'm consuming now. That's good. And then massive amounts of NPR. 
dude. Yeah. <laughs> All about the NPR. NPR yeah. Politics Podcast has been oh my, gosh, my favorite so politics podcast. They they just have like a pretty healthy conversation on politics without diving into cynicism. It's just kind of fun. Yeah. And then Yeah, and and wait, wait, don't tell me. Wait, wait, don't tell Probably me. Like my, yeah, it's like my favorite podcast. Yeah, I love just like flipping it on on the end of the week. Um I don't know why I said flipping it on it. I I tap it. It's a button on my phone. Uh, but Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh my last and final question is Based on the ways you've chosen to step out and live your life differently, what's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life? Man, start looking for like people doing and affecting culture the way you want to and just like absorb everything about that person. That's really good. Yeah, like who's doing what you're trying to do? I think somebody gave me that advice when I was in maybe high school. And so I started looking around and I'm like, okay, who's creating the art I want to create mm-hmm. and who's doing something amazing with the platform that they've gained from that? In a lot of ways, that's what this podcast is about. And I have no doubt that people, yeah. you know, you're asking that question and somebody's going to say, well, I'm picking prop. Like, this is yeah. amazing. <laughs> I picked this guy. Yeah. Oh, man. Prop, for people who want to find you online, where can they stalk you? Where can they listen to your music? Where can they jump into the conversation? Yeah, well, uh, I'm on all the social medias, uh, and it's just uh, Prop Hip Hop. Um, So that's Twitter, Instagram, all that. It's Prop Hip Hop. Our website is uh, HumbleBeast.com. That's HumbleBeast.com. All of our music's there. Uh, If you're into downloading, it's there for free. Uh, if you're trying to stream, it's just propaganda. I'm on all the streaming sources, uh, Spotify, Twitter, or, uh, you know, Apple and Tidal. Like, I'm on all of it. So, yeah, uh, the uh, YouTube, same thing, Prop Hip Hop. Dude, so good. Seriously, thank you so much for uh, hopping on the call and for, for hanging out while your daughter's in ballet. I really appreciate yeah, it. Dude. We'll have to do it again next time your daughter's in ballet. <laughs> that'd be so fun and this little one sleep finally so like we're good man thanks so much and thank uh, you brother and keep being awesome yeah man back at you sounds good with brandon harvey is part of the gradient podcast network and is created in collaboration between me brandon harvey and gradient check them out at gradient.is that's gradient.is Thank you so much to each of you who tuned into the podcast this week. If this is your first time listening, subscribe to the show to get a new inspiring story downloaded straight to your phone in your sleep every single Monday. You can connect with me online and get updates about the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at at Brandon Harvey. That's Brandon with an E-N. And this week and every week, you can find the show notes for this week's episode of Sounds Good at brandonharvey.com slash podcast. brandonharvey.com slash podcast. And I mentioned this in the intro, but this week we're ending the show with a live performance of Propaganda's poem, 40 Years. And it is so good. I'm excited for you to check it out. And with that, that's a wrap for this week's podcast. Enjoy the poem and I'll see you online and I'll talk to you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another inspiring person. Sound good?
20 years, 20 years, but you know, who's counting, right? I mean, 20 years, she, she endured a, a said marriage where sister really ain't have no say in the original arrangements nor the terms thereof, but 20 years, he beat her senseless. Uh, Somehow or another, she managed to muster up the quote-unquote bravery to stick around because one day he decided maybe he shouldn't hit her no more. Now, granted, that was due to outside pressure that threatened the security of his pockets, but he stopped, right? But the damage was done. And on their 40th wedding anniversary, he decides, well, they both decide, maybe we'll throw a nice little shindig, spare no details, all expenses, pull out all the stops, invite all their family and friends. She is to smile, celebrate her husband's greatness, talk about how far they've gone as a country. I mean, as a couple. They're to reminisce on the good old days when everybody knew their places. They're to talk about all the great trumps, I mean the great triumphs that they've accomplished. All the lands and the places that they've conquered, I mean, that they stole, I mean, uh, that they visited. And before any of their friends come in the still silence, you could hear the creak of the floor as he walks, touches ever so gently the caresses, the small of her back and says, babe, look how far we've come. Those last 20 years, they were rough, but these, these have been good. Let's not talk about the last ones because, you know. They make everybody uncomfortable and they, and they, and they separate. And why would you want to separate? Let's, let's unify. Let's talk about unity. What is she to do? Well, she's to hold her little sparkler, wear her pretty little red, white, and blue dress and act like the first 20 years didn't happen. As if she's still not suffering under the thumb of the mental walls that he didn't build. Oh, yeah, he ain't hit her no more, but he don't have to. The scars do all that work for her. You know... She ain't been the same since. Her hip, it's a little bit out of a place. Her, her jaw, it's kind of a jar to the left, so her smile a little crooked. And every once in a while, he compares her to other wives. Like, you know, she ain't as pretty as y'all are, but he turned to tell her, I don't see color. I mean, I don't see beauty. She is to be thankful that now she could be in the big house. She is to celebrate her rights. Her right to vote, you know, on what's for dinner, right? I mean, things are good now, or at least they better than they were. You should pat your nation, I mean, your husband on his back, tell him he's the greatest nation, I mean, the greatest country, I mean, the greatest man in the world. What is she to do? You ask if it was so bad, why didn't she leave? As a matter of fact, why is she always playing the victim? Why is everything about her? Don't other wives get hit too? Don't all wives matter? Why am I forced Why am I forced to only mourn your scars? You know, girls hit girls all the time. We call that wife on wife crime. 
Why I need to worry about just yours? And if it was so bad, if it really was so bad, why was he not prosecuted? Why did not all of your friends who saw this all going on step in and say something? Maybe she's making this up. Why did your church not even step in instead silenced you and said, this is not our issues? And in a weird twist of magic, somehow she just became the victim and the villain. And I don't know how this worked. Does he not owe her? Does forgiveness did not require restitution first? Does the cross that you say you cling to does not scream that justice comes before reconciliation? How can we talk about unity if you're not ready to admit you wrong? she not worth justice and what about the ladies that fight back can you not understand why she might think to take matters into her own hands and punch this sucker every once in a while even though we know even though we know that vengeance is just a bastard version of justice can you not understand the pain for which this young lady is suffering is it not too late to say you sorry huh justice Those thoughts don't plague your mind. I don't know. You know what? Never mind. Happy Fourth of July. Enjoy your ribs. <laughs>